news and started discovering what was happening in, uh, in Christiansville, uh, Virginia, and, uh, and my heart was breaking for our nation. Um, you know, the lies of the enemy just never stop. That he's, as the word tells us, he is seeking those whom he may devour. And we've talked about even over the past few weeks that that word may is permission, permission, who he may devour. And, and what I saw as I was looking at these images on, on the news was people who had believed a lie and had given place for the enemy to, to bring destruction in their lives. I want to read a passage of scripture. By the way, if you're not aware of what's happening, um, there was a, a rally, a march by uh, what they call the alt-right, those who would be uh, basically racist, neo-Nazi. Um, and I love in our nation that we have the opportunity for free speech, but I also believe that that speech needs to honor the Lord. And, uh, and sometimes we can value those rights to a point that other people are hurt, and then that's no longer a right. It, it, it creates damage. And, and one of the things that I've seen is I've had the opportunity not just to, to travel around the world, but to be born and raised in another nation. I grew up in South Africa where apartheid was the law of the land, where one group of people was in power over another group of people based on the color of their skin. And so there, this, this stirs my heart very deeply because I know that these things are not of the Lord. In fact, in 1 John 4, verse 19 through 21, we read these words, and that verse will be up on the screen. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so the very fact that someone would say, well, I'm, I'm conservative, I'm a Christian, I'm a whatever label that is, and then turn around and say, I hate a particular group of people, what, what God's word says, not what I say, say is that they are a liar, that they are deceiving themselves, and even as we talked about a few weeks ago, they're doing the work of the enemy for him. This is not the heart of God for our nation. This is not the heart of God for the world that we live in. And so I believe it's appropriate for us as the body of Christ to take a stand this morning in prayer over our nation. As God says to the children of Israel, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will heal their land. And so, most Sundays, we take an opportunity at this point to pray for another church in our community. Today, we're going to pray for our nation. Amen. Father God, this morning, we lift our nation before you. And I pray, God, that the plan of the enemy to bring destruction and division would be undone in Jesus' name. And Lord, there would be a knitting of hearts, a unity that would rise out of this, Lord, as never seen before in our nation's history. God, we pray that the plans of the enemy would absolutely fall flat. And God, that those who are walking in a way that does not honor you, Lord, would be convicted by your Holy Spirit and make the decision to turn their hearts towards you. Bring that breakthrough, I pray, Lord God, in our nation. 
Lord, I pray that the seeds that have been sown in darkness would be revealed in the light. And God, that this destruction would end in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the families of those who lost their lives yesterday in Virginia. God, we pray for peace and comfort, Lord. I pray that there would just be a sense of forgiveness that would overwhelm them, Lord, that is even beyond their comprehension, and that the peace of God would rule and reign in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, continue to pray for our nation. If that's not something you regularly do, uh, it's something we have to take seriously. It's a responsibility. And talk about rights. We have a kingdom right to pray for kings and rulers and those in authority over us. I also want to do this this morning. I want to honor you and say thank you to you. Last week, Pastor Haroon came and, man, did he bring a powerful message? I... I was sitting there just going, oh, I love, because every time I go to Kenya, I preach in his church, so I don't get to hear Haroon preach as much, but that man can preach fire. And I was, I was looking at the clock going, bro, just keep going, because this is good stuff. Um, but at the end, I'd asked uh, that we would receive an offering to bless Pastor Haroon, and, uh, and I'm always, always, always blown away by your generosity. I want to report to you this morning that this church gave $1,675 to Pastor Haroon last Sunday. So we can praise the Lord for that, but I want to show you what your money accomplished. I want to show a couple of pictures, if we have those. I don't know if we we got them. All right. It's a little hard to see. In fact, I think there might be another picture that's a little bit lighter. Okay. This is the building that that they're, they're building in Nairobi right now. The first floor, the ground floor, as they call it there, is, um, is the school, and then that second floor is going to be the church sanctuary. And uh, we got to visit, we got to walk around the school, and we were there a few weeks ago. In fact, uh, some of our team were playing soccer right here in this little dirt lot right in front of the building. Here's the amazing thing about this building is... Uh, God has been providing the funds supernaturally. We got to partner with our, uh, the church we were on staff at before at the bridge to raise the money to build the foundation for that building. But everything from the ground up, everything from that foundation up has been provided for in Kenya. It has not come from the U.S. And so they literally have neighbors who, who don't know the Lord who are around that building who are, blo- who are buying one or five or ten stones or bricks to contribute to the effort of what's happening there. Well, their goal and their prayer was that they would be able to finish the sanctuary and be able to occupy that sanctuary by the end of the year, moving them out of a tin building that has dirt floors and into a building that uh, has, has nice windows, concrete floor, uh, and just gets them literally out of the dirt. What you gave last week, by Thursday of last week, uh, Haroon had heard back from their contractor who said, We can get the walls done, but we don't have the money for the roof. We don't have the money for the girders and for the tin, the metal that will go over the roof. And they needed 178,000 Kenya shillings, which translates to about $1,780. So our church gave $1,675, $1,675, and then we also blessed Haroon with an honorarium that put them over the amount that they needed to finish that sanctuary. And so, can we thank the Lord for that? So I've asked him to keep sending us pictures. You will see more of these pictures. But no, because of your efforts, there is a congregation in Nairobi that will have a roof over their heads in their sanctuary 
before the date that they expected it to happen. So, well done. All right, here we go. Unstuck. I realized this morning, once again, that as I was looking at the, the order of service today, that I had more notes than I had time for. And so today is going to turn into a multi-part message, um, which is great, because I would rather take our time, because what we're going to talk about today is, is really critical to our lives as believers. And my hope is that every Sunday what we talk about is important. But when we come to the Word of God and talking about the importance of the Word of God in our lives it really is important that we take our time, that we understand what it is that we're discussing. We've been in this series entitled Unstuck and talked about the fact that at times in our lives we get stuck. Every one of us has been stuck, whether it's stuck in a pattern or a way of life, stuck in a, in a train of thought or, or, or a way that we think about ourselves, stuck in a habit, maybe just even in your relationship with the Lord where you're feeling like, feeling like I'm not... I'm not moving forward. Last year, I'd set some goals, and I was hoping I'd be further along than I am, and it just doesn't feel like that's happening. I feel stuck. One of the, the ways that we've come to uh, use church language to describe it will say, oh, I've just been in a desert place, right? Been in a desert. I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this place that I'm in. Maybe it's in your calling. You felt like at some stage of your life, God had given you a call in your life, and and you've not seen it realized, and, and you just feel stuck and maybe frustrated, maybe in your marriage. Now, again, you're not stuck in your marriage, all right, but stuck in a place where you don't feel like your marriage is growing and that you're not getting closer to each other and not seeing God's purposes fulfilled, maybe stuck in your parenting, your finances, habits, or addictions, or maybe in a place of joy. I just have not experienced joy in my life for some time, and I feel stuck. We all tracking? We've all been there, right? So how do we get unstuck? And I made this statement, God is not intended for us, for you and for me, and for anyone who would call on his name to live stuck lives. That's not God's design for you. It's not his design for me. And I believe that in his word, he gives us everything we need to get unstuck. Amen? I had a big cup of coffee today, so I'm like fired up. He gives us everything we need to be unstuck, to live unstuck lives. And so over the last few weeks, with the exception of Pastor Haroon being here, which by the way, did his message not just fit perfectly with what we've been talking about, staying focused and staying on target and going after it, we talked about uh, this, this question, what what. What place does Jesus occupy in your life? And this is how we started out this series. What place does Jesus occupy in your life? He has to be your anchor. He has to be your Lord, your Savior, your King. He has to be your everything. He has to be the place that your life is anchored to. If he is not, I guarantee you, you will continue to be stuck. You're not going to move, move forward. And so it's really about who is Jesus in your life. And we, we took three weeks to talk about breakthrough prayer. Praying in such a way that we see momentum gathered and, 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 and accomplished in our lives where we move from being in a stuck place to being in a place where we, give, we get traction. That breakthrough prayer gives us spiritual traction. We talked about the fact that out of James chapter 5, that prayer and praise, he says, if anyone's in trouble, 
a.k.a. stuck, or if anyone's happy, that if they're stuck, they need to pray, and if they're happy, they need to praise. We talked about the fact that those need to be done out loud. We talked about isolation and identity, two tactics of the enemy to separate us and to call into question who we are in Christ. That's the enemy's goals. He wants to separate us from the rest of the herd, as it were, from the family, to get us in a place where we're isolated, because when we're isolated, we more readily believe his lies. Because there's not someone standing with with us to be able to say, that's not true. That's not who you are. Right? And again, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking those who he may devour. He devours those who are on the fringe, who are separated from the rest, and he calls into question our identity, as James says, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And the first thing that pops into our minds is, oh, you're not righteous. You're not righteous. And he calls into to question. Well, we want to talk today about word, the word of God. And, and, and as we said even a few weeks ago, our words matter. The words that, that we say matter. They carry power, power to tear up, uh, tear down and build up. To, to bless and to curse. And, 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 and here's the thing, if our words are powerful, then we better make sure that we're saying the right words. Is that fair? If your words are powerful, if they have supernatural power to build up or tear down, to bless or to curse, we better make sure that we're saying the right words. That's, that's worthy of another amen right there. The goal here is not simply a better vocabulary. The goal is not a better vocabulary. The goal is to understand the spirit behind what it is I am saying. Why am I saying the words that I'm saying? And why are these words even in my mouth and on my lips? The goal is to make sure that every word that proceeds from our mouths does two things. That it honors God and it blesses people. That our words always need to honor the Lord and bless people. Even words of correction need to honor God and bless people. Even when we're disagreeing with people, we need to honor God and bless people because our words are powerful. So we want to take a look at the power of the Word of God this morning. Ephesians 6.17 says this, And here Paul is writing the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the armor of God. And in verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the Word of God. We have a a skit this morning that um, we'd like to to share with you. Uh, We haven't done this in a while, and and I love just visual depictions of truths in the Word of God. Um, And so Lynn and a team have prepared um, just a, a little dramatic presentation of the power of the Word of God in our lives.
we're still waiting for Carol to come up from kids. Um, a couple of weeks ago when Barry started the series on Unstuck, I got a picture from God and then I wrote this skit. And it's about um, what God has been speaking for the last year or so about our old identity and he has a new identity. And he wants us to, to cross over into our new identity, going from like the wilderness into the promised land. And, um, but there's things that hold us back. And so this is just to illustrate um, what holds us back, some of the things that hold us back, and how to get free from that and how to cross over. So Fred represents, he's Joe Everyday Christian. And, <laughs> and then the others are the voices of the enemy that we hear over and over and over, sometimes from our childhood, but things that we tend to believe and we tend to let keep us back from getting into what God wants. But God gives us tools to help us cross over.
Thank you. Good job. All right. Thank you, guys. That was great. The power of the Word of God to cut those things that hold us back from our old identity and release us into our new identity. I, I want to make sure that that was fun. You guys did an awesome job. Right, And we were giggling a little bit, but here's the thing. This is a physical representation of what happens in the heavenly realms. That the idea that there are demonic forces that come against us daily. And, and, and here's the thing. Little, little pieces of twine, right? Not so much. We had to do that so that it cut easily. But here's the thing. They're, they look more like gargantuan chains. Shackles that hold us back. And that God says, I want to move you from who you were into what I've called you to be, what I've destined you to be. And it takes the power of his word and us declaring the power of his word in our lives. The sword of the spirit that cuts through those things that would stand against God and be the lies that are declared over us. It is the word of God, it is the sword of spirit that brings revelation to those places so that we can see what it is that needs to change in our lives. See, there's things in our lives, guilt, fear, shame, regret, condemnation, all of these things that the enemy would want to bind us with and say, you're stuck, you can't move forward into what God has for you. And they come in the forms of words that are spoken and declared over us, Things that are said to us even when we're little children that take a hold in our lives, that get their claws into us and do not let go. They come in the forms of words that we've spoken over ourselves, things that we've said about ourselves. I'm nothing. I'll never amount to anything. This is the best it's ever going to get. No one will ever love me. And we start believing those words and they prevent us from moving forward and they become lies that we choose to believe. God says, I want to break the power of those lies. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, we read about Jesus at the end of 40 days of fasting in the desert. Comes on the heels of him being baptized and being uh, baptized not just in water, but the power of the Holy Spirit. At which point, the Father's voice is heard saying, this is my son in whom I well pleased. This is my son. 
in whom I'm well pleased. Starting in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 4, it says this, After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, here's the thing. Jesus was hungry. You ever been hungry? Come on. Everyone's been hungry. All right, work with me here. I'm hungry right now. (laughs) It's great. Jesus was hungry. And we know this, that when you're hungry, you're not you. We've heard that before somewhere. You're not you when you're hungry. In fact, we've coined that that phrase, you're hangry, right? You're hungry, angry. When When we're hungry, we're not fun to be around. Can I just tell you, you're not fun to be around when you're hungry, Right? When people are like, oh, I'm on a diet. And I'm like, I'm avoiding you right now because you're hungry. We don't make the best decisions when we're hungry. We become weak. In fact, when I say we don't make the best decisions, it's not just because I'm distracted by the hunger. Physiologically, our body is lacking the nourishment it needs. And so there's all kinds of things that happen chemically in our body. Our brain stops getting the nutrition that it needs. We don't make good decisions when we're hungry. No energy, low blood sugar, clouded thinking, all of these things start happening. Jesus was hungry. It's important enough for for the writer, for Matthew here, to actually say this. Why? Because the enemy comes and tempts him in this weak state, and he tempts him in the area that he's weak in. See, Satan will always come after you when you're weak. You become a target of opportunity, and he will always come after you when you're weak. He tempts him with the thing he's hungry for. Can I just tell you, Satan is never going to tempt you with something you don't have an appetite for. Amen? He's never going to tempt you with something you don't have an appetite for. So if you've developed an appetite in a particular area of your life, and I'm not talking about food, though it might be food, the things that you've allowed yourself to develop an appetite for will always be the place where the enemy comes against you. And he appeals to the appetite. He says, you're hungry. And so he says, if, because you're hungry, if you're the son of God, If you're the son of God, and we talked about this, he calls his identity into question. It's the same question he asked Eve in the garden. Did God really say? The only tactic the enemy has is to call into question the truth claims and the character of who God is. That's all he can ever do. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Take care of the hunger. Because if God really cared for you, if he really loved you, if he's really your father, he wouldn't want you to be hungry. He'd want you to be satisfied. And the power of God could turn those rocks into bread. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. He made water gush out of a rock in the Old Testament, right? Twice. He caused manna to come. Elijah was fed by ravens in the morning and the evening. 
Yeah, God could do it. It's not a question of whether or not God can do it. And we have to remember this. When the enemy comes, he will tempt us with things that seem, seem good and seem in line with God's character. But if it's not in line with his word, then we need to get away from that. We need to, to put as much distance as we can as possible. So Jesus' answer is not this. Hey, just leave me alone. He doesn't say, hey, can we have this conversation at another time? He says, no, Satan, I don't like you. Just get away. That's not how he responds. He doesn't respond out of his own words and out of his own wisdom. And remember, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, it is written. It is written, a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, what? That, that man will not live on bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why is this important for us? Because God's word is life. God's word is life. And if there is power in our words, we better make sure that the words that we declare are the words of God and not our own words. And can I tell you, in the church today, we've become careless and sloppy with our words. We've become careless and sloppy with our words. And we think we can say whatever we say, we want to say, and it's okay, well, because that's the truth. You ever, anyone ever sp- spoken the truth to you? <laughs> right? I'm just telling you this because I need to speak the truth. What did Jesus say? Speak the truth in love. Our, our words, we need to be careful. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says this, For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. This is a scene here where the angel Gabriel has come to Mary and told her the news that she would be the mother of Jesus. And she's trying to process this all and trying to take it all in and understand how, how all of this could be. And, and it gets to this point where Gabriel's reassuring her and he just makes this statement. It almost seems out of context when you read the passage. But he finishes his thought with this, no word from God will ever fail. Some translations translate it this way, nothing is impossible for God. Basically, this is it. What, what he's saying is whatever God says will be. That his word is consistent, it is true, and there's nothing too difficult for God. We then go to Matthew 12, 33 through 37, where Jesus turns the focus to us. Let me read this for us. It says this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you call, you who are evil, call anything Good. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment, listen to this, for every empty word they have spoken. I don't like this verse. 
For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. By your what? By your words. You will have to give an answer before the judgment seat of God for every empty word. Do you think words matter to God? They absolutely matter to God. And they should matter to us in the same way. See, what was happening is Jesus had healed a man who was demon-possessed, and because of that demon possession was blind and mute. And and he, he brings healing to this man. He casts the demon out, and his sight and his speech is restored. And the Pharisees, those who had all the answers, look at this and they accuse Jesus. It says it's by Beelzebub, it's by Satan that he's doing these things. And Jesus makes a statement that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And then he goes on to talk about these empty words, not just as an accusation against the Pharisees, but a reminder for us that our words matter. I'm looking at the time and I'm realizing we might not get to the first point today. Um, And that's okay, because I want to lay, I think I framed a bit of the picture, but I want to lay a bit of a foundation for us, because I I believe in my study this week that the Lord showed me in my own life, and maybe for many of you, where I get stuck at taking God at His word and understanding the power of His word in our lives. And so I want to I want to share a little bit of Greek with you this morning. I don't do this a lot, but I think it's important for us to understand some biblical concepts. The, one of the challenges we have with the Bibles or translations that we have is that we translate certain Greek and Hebrew words into English, and we use the same word uh, in English for multiple words in the Greek. And so we lose a bit of the savor. We lose a bit of the depth. Um, And so it's kind of like a a diamond with many facets. When you're looking at that diamond, you can look at it from different angles. It's still a diamond, but there's different ways to look at it. And so that's what I want to do for us this morning. There's four words I want us to take a look at, and I'm going to put them up on the screen. The first two have to do with time. The first two have to do with time. They're the words chronos and kairos. Kronos and Kairos. The second two have to do with the word. In fact, they're the words that are translated word in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Logos and Rhema. Logos and Rhema. And I've titled this Created for Eternity. See, I, I believe that one of the problems we have when it comes to the word of God is we think of God's word as being temporal, in that it applies to the time and the space that we're in right now. And it does, but it doesn't just do that. And you see, we're eternal creatures. God has created us for eternity, living in a temporal space. We are eternal beings living in a temporal space. The Bible tells us that this body will fade away, that one day... I will be present with God in heaven and that this body will be gone and then I'll receive a new body and I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Um, And there will be a heaven and new, new heaven and new earth. There's all of these things that are coming. But right now we're here in this space, in this time, in this body, feeling the things that we feel. We get hungry. We get tired, right? We get angry. We get happy. We get sad. There's things that affect us on a very temporal level. 
The problem is this, is that we start applying God's word to us only in a temporal sense and not in an eternal sense, which means that we lose some of the impact of what God's word needs to be in our lives. Let me illustrate this. Chronos is linear time. We get the word chronological. It's linear time. Today is the 13th of August, 2017. Tomorrow will be the 14th of August in what year? 2017. Why? Because time is linear. I have a wall, a calendar on my wall that, that, that shows that, right? And each day comes after the next day, and each minute after the next minute. Chronological. Kairos time, though, in God's word is this. Kairos time is a divine moment. The moment that Jesus died on the cross was a Kairos moment. It was a moment that eternity was looking at. It was a moment that existed in the temporal, but really had its roots in the eternal. When you read the Old Testament, you realize that the Old Testament is pointing to this moment where Jesus would die on the cross and then be resurrected again, that the Old Testament is looking at that moment. Why? Because it's a kairos moment. It's a divine moment. It's a moment outside of the temporal time that we understand. Logos and Rhema are in, the similar, in a similar sense. Logos is this. It's the written word of God, right? I have the Logos. It's bound in leather and written on paper. It is the, the word of God that has been written. It's been given through those who the Holy Spirit inspired to write. Rhema, on the other hand, is a word of revelation that is given in a moment in time for a situation, and it's important that I know the logos, because without the logos, I'm not going to have a rhema. Without the logos, I'm not going to have a rhema. All right, so I, I do want to give you some practical illustrations of what this looks like. Years ago, when I first became a, a, a pastor, I was a youth pastor at a church, uh, I was a junior high pastor, still a sophomore in college, and God opened the door for Megan and I to step into ministry. I shared an office with a gentleman named Dr. Hall, Dr. Clarence Hall, and uh, I was 24, he was 94. <laughs> we have a book in Foursquare called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology, and it is, it is the a book that's used within the Pentecostal world, not just in Foursquare, as the theology book. It's kind of the go-to book. Clarence Hall was a contributing writer for that book. He was a professor at Life Bible College, taught the book of Ephesians for like 20 years. And, and one Saturday morning, we were sitting in that office having a conversation, and, 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 and Clarence Hall says this to me. Dr. Hall says this to me. You know, Barry, I've read the book of Ephesians every day at least once every day for 45 years. And I'm thinking, you can probably recite it backwards in your sleep in the Greek, right? You do the math. That's a lot of times to read the book of Ephesians. And then he says this to me, and this rocked my world. Every time I read it, I learn something new. He was talking about rhema, not about logos. He studied the logos, he studied the book, he knew the author, he knew the date, he knew the history, he knew the audience, but when he read it, he was looking for a rhema. 
He was looking for a revelation in his life of what God was speaking to him in that moment. Why? Because every time you pick up the word of God and read a passage, God knew from the foundation of the earth that you would read those words in that moment on that day. Let that blow your mind for a second. In fact, I've heard it say, God could not have not known that you would read what you would read in a moment, at a place, at a stage of your life, and bring a revelation, a rhema by His Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews that the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. How is it alive? Because of the Holy Spirit of God bringing rhema, bringing revelation in a moment to the specific situation of your life. And so in that moment, you are both having a kairos moment and a rhema moment where eternity is speaking to you in the temporal through the word of God. We tracking? If we don't understand that, I'm going to approach this book like I would any other book. This is what makes the Bible the best-selling book in the history of the world. For even people who don't understand it go, there's something about it. This is what sets the Bible apart from being a self-help book. You could just simply read the logos and go, wow, that's really good. But when you embrace the rhema, it's transformative. It brings freedom. So in our skit this morning, at a moment in time, Fred prays and says, Lord, I need your help. And the rhema is... God has not given you a spirit of fear. And there's a faith that rises up in him, and he pulls out the sword, the word of God, and he cuts the chain, the thing that's holding him back, that allows him to move into his future. We get stuck because we start thinking that this world is all there is. You're not created for the temporal, you're created for eternity. And so if we would bring God's word to bear in our lives it, with that kind of thinking, I guarantee, I guarantee that your life will be changed forever. It can't not. Can I say that again? I guarantee that your life will be changed forever. It can't not be changed if you come with that kind of heart. Because I could preach a sermon about you just need to read the Bible more. You've heard that message. Can I just tell you I hate those messages? Because it just gives me more condemnation. I didn't read my Bible. My least favorite thing about the Bible app is the, the, it tells you how many days you've missed. I mean, like, can you just take that out? Right? You've missed 43 days. I'm like, dang, I suck. And God goes, no, no, just read, because I have a rhema and a kairos moment for you, ready to go. So don't worry about that. Just get into the word. So I could preach another message about just, just read your Bible more. We could teach you a song. Read your Bible, pray every day. Is it truth? Yes. Is it maybe lacking some of the power? Absolutely. I went to Bible college, and God's rocking my world with this 20 years later, prepping for this message. Once again, I'm going, God, this is for me, and if you guys get something out of it, awesome. This is for me. I brought this Bible today. This Bible is from the 90s. You can tell because it has this awesome cover that zips up, right? 
And if I keep it long enough, if I keep it long enough, it'll be cool again. But I brought this Bible for a reason. This is the Bible I brought with me to Bible college when I came to life in 1993. This Bible is filled with notes that I wrote in the margins and I highlighted. I actually lost this Bible. I left it in a class. And then someone in that, it was a night class because I was taking night classes at the time. And someone grabbed the Bible. Someone had seen it. They grabbed it. And it was gone for two years. Some Bible college student had my Bible. <laughs> I wanted to have some words with them. But, but I was bummed. I was really bummed. And then one day I came to, to class and I went to check my mailbox and was sitting in my mailbox. There's one quote that I wrote here, and I believe it was a professor who some of you know named Larry Powers, who, when we came to school, we sat in Larry's class for the first week that we were there as freshmen, and we all walked out crying because we doubted that we were actually saved, right? We heard things that we'd never heard before, and we're like, oh, I, I don't think I actually love Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Anyone been there, right? <laughs> Second Timothy, I remember him saying this out of Second Timothy chapter 4. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then I wrote this at the top of my Bible. It's right there. It says this, you cannot preach what you do not live. You cannot live what you do not know. Study the word. Study the word. I don't use this Bible a lot. I've got other Bibles that I use, but I, I keep this Bible. It's, it was in my bedroom this morning. We just moved. So I actually was like kind of freaking out because I'm like, where did it go? But usually it's in my office because just looking at it, at the dated cover and the zipper, reminds me of this, the importance of being a man of God's word. Because I cannot preach what I do not live, and I cannot live what I do not know. So I need to know God's word. But this doesn't apply just to me because I'm a preacher. You're a preacher as well. You preach every time you open your mouth. More than that, you preach every time you step out of your door and you live your life. You're preaching with your life. And if you don't know the word of God, the logos and the rhema, you're going to be stuck, and more than that, you're probably going to help other people get stuck. And God's design for you, His plan for you, is that with His Word in your mouth, that you would engage the world in such a way that people move from darkness to light, from, from bondage into freedom. He wants to use your life in that kind of way. Another example of the way that, that Kairos and Rhema come to bear is, I've studied the Bible a lot. I know a lot of the Word of God just off, off of memory. might not always remember, remember the reference or, as a friend of mine says, the address. But is there enough of it that I can recall particular passages? But when I sit down with someone in a counseling appointment, it doesn't help them for me just to start reciting the Word of God to them just arbitrarily. Because I just happen to know all these verses, so I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter what's going on in your life. Let me just start telling you scriptures. 
In fact, right, when you're dealing with someone who's, who's hurting or, or experienced painful loss, and you have that Christian who goes, God causes all things to work together for those who love him, right? And you're like, I hate you right now. Why? Because it's devoid of the compassion. It's logos, not rhema. And the word of God in your mouth becomes a rhema for someone else if you've hidden it in your heart. So in Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist writes this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. The light helps me know there's a road, but the light also helps me to take the next step. So in a counseling situation, what I pray every single time is, God, help me to have your words. To see beyond what I can see, to hear beyond what I can hear. Holy Spirit, would you move through my life and address things that are unseen, unspoken, unknown to me, but known to you. Would you give me a rhema for this person? Again, that's not just for me, though. You can move in that way. Try it. We saw junior hires at camp release to give words of wisdom and words of knowledge to other people other youth, other leaders, 12, 13, 14-year-olds going up to people going, I believe God just wants you to know, and it being right on. I had a young lady, I think she's 18 or 19 years old, during a time in a service at camp where we weren't even doing that. The speaker hadn't said, oh, we're going to move into this time. I was just worshiping. I was at the back of the room. We got to the end of the worship set, and she kind of just pulls up right next to me and says, I believe I have a word from the Lord for you. And then she shares the word, and I just go, would you pray for me? And she goes, well, was it accurate? And I'm like, I, I barely could speak because it was more accurate than she could even understand. Why? Because God had given her a rhema, a revelation, and there was a kairos moment for me in that sanctuary where I've had a lot of Camp Cedarcrest, which is one of the reasons I love that place. Where God expressed his love for me through a word that was spoken through another human being that I knew will affect my life for eternity. God's word is ready to rock your world. But you cannot preach what you do not know, what do not live, and you cannot live what you do not know. When we come back next Sunday... We're going to talk about three things, three places where the word needs to be present in our lives. We need to know it here in our minds. We can put those up, yeah. We need to know it. We need to believe it in our hearts. And then we need to declare it with our mouths and with our lives. We need to know it. We need to believe it. And we need to declare it. Sound good? Let's stand together as we close. That might have been the longest introduction I've ever done. <laughs> as the worship team comes up, can we close our eyes and let's just have a moment with the Lord. I want to go back to that skit. And instead of Fred, would you picture yourself in that place? And maybe change the words that were represented and maybe even fill in those words with the words that you feel are the things that are tied to your life, holding you back. 
Now, I want to let you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but God does. And whatever it is you filled in on those, those little signs, God's word has the answer to that. Whatever it is, I, I don't need to know. He knows. But whatever it is, God's word has the answer. God's word can bring freedom. God's word will bring healing. God has the answer for whatever it is that you feel is holding you back and has you stuck. The question is this, will you take God at his word? Because nothing is too difficult for him. God's word stands forever. God's word does not lie. God's word will not change. It is forever. It is for always. Take him at his word. Father, I declare not my words, but your words over this congregation this morning, over every person here. That the old is gone and the new has come. That they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. That they are loved, that they are called, that there is purpose, there is value, and there is meaning. That you are their healer, their restorer, the one who empowers. Lord, that our identity is firmly hidden and fixed in who you are. And I declare over this congregation today, Lord, that the lies of the enemy would fall to the ground as dead, that they would have no place anymore in the hearts and minds of every person in this room. Whether it was a word uttered as a child or this morning, God, that those words would be undone in Jesus' name and that your word would stand in that place. I want to give you the opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've not said yes to Jesus, if you've not received him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never asked him to be your king and and you've never anchored your life to him, we don't want to ever miss an opportunity on a Sunday morning to give that invitation. If that's you, no one's looking around. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand so I can stand in agreement with you today? Just raise your hand nice and high. And we want to celebrate with you. Anyone this morning? Amen. So Father, this morning I pray as we conclude in worship and as we go our ways, God, that the words that you've deposited in our hearts and minds, Lord, would be in our mouths this week. As we go to the grocery store, as we're at Starbucks, Lord, as we're in school, as we meet our kids' teachers for the first time, Lord, would your word be in our mouths. That we would have Rhema and Kairos moments this week, unlike ever before. God, that we would be so aware, even as you said, Jesus, when your disciples asked you to teach them to pray, you said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your eternal kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven and your will be done. May that be done in this place this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.